Hey there, it's Mitch here. And before we get into today's episode, our spring membership drive has officially sprung and we've got one heck of a giveaway. When you make a donation in any amount to Vermont Public by March 16th, you'll be entered to win a new roof valued up to $15,000 thanks to Vermont Construction Company. Your support makes everything we do possible. Make a gift today so we can keep bringing you the trustworthy, reliable news you count on day in and day out. To make your gift, head to vermontpublic.org donate. And thanks. From Vermont Public, this is The Frequency. I'm Mitch Wertlieb. It's Wednesday, February 28th, and here are today's headlines. Vermont House and Senate budget writers have reached agreement on legislation that will extend housing eligibility for the vast majority of unsheltered Vermonters living in state-subsidized motel rooms. Many of the 1,600 Vermonters currently living in motels and hotels are scheduled to lose eligibility on April 1st. But lawmakers are now poised to approve legislation that would extend the program until June 30th. Waterbury Representative Teresa Wood is the chair of the House Committee on Human Services. For the legislative body, we feel it's imperative that we house people, especially vulnerable populations, that they have access to housing right now. And when I say housing, it's really emergency shelter. Governor Phil Scott has raised concerns about the spending proposal, and he says money spent on motels and hotels depletes resources that could otherwise be directed toward permanent affordable housing. More than one-third of lawmakers serving in Montpelier have signed on to a letter asking President Joe Biden to demand a permanent ceasefire in Gaza. When Brownington Representative David Templeman began asking fellow lawmakers to sign the letter, he says he got some pushback from colleagues who felt the issue was outside the purview of the Vermont legislature. But at a press conference on the Statehouse steps on Tuesday, Templeman said Israeli military operations in Gaza demand a response from all levels of government. Israeli forces have killed more than 29,000 Palestinians since October, according to the Gaza Health Ministry. There are no lanes. Every citizen must declare that we will not stand idly by and leave resolution efforts to our superiors. Vermont lawmakers say a ceasefire is the most expedient way to address the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. But some legislators worry the correspondence and the publicity surrounding it will fuel anti-Semitism in the Green Mountain State. St. Albans Representative Casey Toof says acts of hate against Jews in America have spiked since the beginning of the Israel-Hamas war. Um, I have many concerns from citizens, friends, and neighbors who feel like um, they're the target of anti-Semitism. And this, this letter really sends the wrong message to them. In recent weeks, Biden has dispatched top officials to the Middle East and Europe to push for a ceasefire. That's according to reporting by The Washington Post. A trial began Monday for two Dartmouth College students charged with criminal trespassing after refusing to leave a tent they'd pitched in front of a college administration building in late October. The Valley News reports freshman Kevin Engel and junior Rowan Wade were arrested while staging a sit-in to protest the college's response to the Israel-Hamas war. The students were also calling on Dartmouth to divest from, quote, Israeli apartheid, among other demands. Dartmouth's Director of Safety and Security testified that he warned the students over the course of three days that their tent was not permitted on college grounds and needed to be removed due to safety issues. The director also testified that Dartmouth's president, Sian Leah Bylock, was present at a meeting he had with senior college administrators on what to do about the situation. 
Bylock's attorney tried to have a motion for the president to testify at the trial quashed, but the request was denied. Both Engel and Wade were at the Lebanon District Courthouse Monday, but were not called to testify. The court has not set future trial dates, including when Bylock would be scheduled to testify. The Vermont Department of Corrections says a Newport man held at an out-of-state prison died on Monday. Alfred Brochu was serving a life sentence at Tallahatchie County Correctional Facility in Mississippi, a private prison where Vermont incarcerates about 120 people. According to DOC, Brochu was found unresponsive in his cell at 12.14 p.m. on Sunday. Staff began life-saving measures and called for emergency medical services. Brochu regained consciousness and was taken to a hospital where he died at around 12.30 in the morning on Monday. DOC says the death does not appear to be suspicious at this time. The department and the Defender General's Prisoner's Rights Office will conduct separate reviews of the incident, a standard procedure when someone dies in prison. Brochu had been incarcerated since 2003. The 71-year-old was serving a life sentence without parole for the murder of 18-year-old Tara Stratton. According to DOC, Brochu was transferred out of state in 2011. Parts of our region will be under high wind and flash flood advisories starting this afternoon. The National Weather Service issued a high wind advisory for communities in central, northeast, northwest, and southern Vermont. Winds of 20 to 30 miles per hour will blow through the region through Thursday morning, along with gusts of up to 55 miles per hour. The Weather Service warns downed tree limbs could cause power outages. And a flood watch is up for Addison, Chittenden, Rutland, Lamoille, and Washington counties from this afternoon through Thursday morning. Rain is expected today, and that along with mild temperatures into the 60s may cause snowpack to melt. The Weather Service says that could cause some rivers and streams to quickly reach flood levels. Coming up, a visit to a well-funded library in Waterbury, frequented by young adults as well as kids and older Vermonters. That's after this. The Frequency is supported by MVP Healthcare, offering Medicare Advantage plans made for Vermont and guided by doctors, in partnership with the UVM Health Network. Info at uvmhealthadvantage.com. There are almost 200 public libraries scattered throughout Vermont. One of the best funded is the Waterbury Public Library in Washington County. It's a big modern building with a school bus stop right out front, and over the years it's been able to draw in a population that most libraries can't, young adults. Reporter Sabine Pooks visited the Waterbury Public Library for a recent episode of our podcast, Brave Little State, to answer a listener question about how Vermont libraries stay vibrant in the digital age. When I visit the Waterbury Public Library in January... My time's divided into two very separate periods. The time before the kids arrive and the time after. The before time is quiet, a by-the-book library. Two people work at desks. A volunteer puts books back on the shelves. That's until 3 p.m., when the first school busload of kids arrives. Immediately, these kids have a lot of questions for me. Oh, are we on the news? Are you going to take pictures? Are you a reporter? I like your earrings. They're so cool. What's this all about? A handful of kids dump their coats on the ground and beeline for the rows of computers on the first floor. Annika Hackett watches over Adeline Lavallee's shoulder as she clicks through some games online. And then you try to get up to here. Yeah, watermax. Today there's cooking club from 4 to 5. Uh, never done it before, but apparently this 
this week, it's literally just okay. pu- putting a bunch of random stuff into a waffle iron. Sounds fun. <laughs> it's probably going to end in disasters, but... Adeline and Annika are in the third and fourth grades. In the winter, this is where they come most days after school. Can you guys show me around the library? Yeah, yeah. Um, towards the back is the picture books kids section. A lot of Vermont's libraries are old and in desperate need of repairs. But that's not the case here. The library's housed in a beautiful two-story building that's just a few years old. The kids section at the back has big windows facing the snowy soccer field and cross-country ski track. They host story time back here for toddlers and their parents. There's also a whole floor of the library upstairs where the adult section is. Upstairs is so quiet. Yeah. How quiet? Um, enough that you could hear a mouse walking around. <laughs> we hop on the elevator to take a peek. Do you guys ever spend time in the adult section? Um, there's like coloring up there, so yeah. Yeah, there, the chairs up there are pretty cool, and there's actually like a little, um, it's pretty peaceful up there. There's like a little waterfall out of the wall. Like, super tiny, but it's nice. That's very peaceful. Yeah. Nice, nice view of the soccer fields. <laughs> you can spy on people who are playing soccer. It is very quiet up here. There's someone working at a table near one of the windows. The lights are pretty cool in my opinion. Yeah, the lights. Okay, this is the inaugural uh, waffle class at Waterbury Public Library. Thank you for coming. I'm so excited. At 4 p.m., it's time for Cooking Club, led by Sandra Schweikert. We took a poll... And the winners for our menu for today were pizza and brownies. So we're going to make... Yes, they're making pizza and brownies in waffle irons. Sandra is the youth librarian at Waterbury. She and another volunteer are pressing bread and sauce and chocolate batter into irons as a bunch of kids hungrily stand around. Normally, I come once a week on Mondays. Nine-year-old Hazel Dean is waiting for her pizza waffle to cool. Well, sometimes I normally go with my friend, and sometimes we play board games, like Battleship and stuff. And sometimes it's really calm, so it's a good place to work on writing the book we're writing together. The book she's writing is called Dragons, based on a game she and her friends play at recess. It's a chapter book with some pictures in it. She's on the second chapter. And her friend Lillian is editing the story. They meet at the library to work on it together. Why did you choose her to be the editor for your book? Because she's the highest speller in our class. And she writes a lot of books, so she knows, like, if you have less excitement or more excitement, or if she should have, like, romance, or, like, what twists it should have. And she's helped me a lot. It's not just kids like Hazel, Adeline, and Annika who use the library. There's chair yoga for older residents, help with taxes and baby story time, and for the most part, these are things visitors do together. I'll admit, that's something that surprised me. No one at the library was shushing each other. It was all very social. Online, Like, you see how other people are doing, you see what other people are struggling, struggling with, and you say, oh, I'm not alone. Youth librarian Sandra Schweikert again. And I think that's part of what public libraries do for all walks of life in this day and age still, and it's critical, and it's not something you can do or replace with just technology in many cases. Sandra thinks this is especially important for a demographic that is notoriously missing from many libraries, teenagers. 
The evening I visit, there's a group of teenagers hanging out in the conference room. They've been meeting at the library every month for two years for Queer Reads, a book club for LGBTQ plus kids. Tonight, they're having art club. 14-year-old Michelle Shank is quietly playing an unplugged electric bass. Robin Wigand is cropping a pink gorilla's t-shirt and clicking around on a laptop. Almost everyone in here is my friend, and we're, we just get along easily, and it's fun, and we eat food, and we talk about our experiences, and we don't judge, and we don't really share them with other people outside of the space. They seem like conversations they could be having anywhere. So, why here? Well, my school bus, actually, the one I usually ride, just dumps, like, a ton of people off here every day. And... It's really easy to just go here and have the resources of the library and not be bothered by small siblings and whatnot. I mean, kind of, we can be as relatively loud and outspoken about whatever we want to be. This room, it like, it has become sort of a, sort of a brain response where it's like, okay, I'm in this room, we're good, stress is let go of, it's just kind of like, a sort of a happy place, and we have decorated it with our usness um, throughout throughout the years. I mean, for Vermont Public, I'm Sabine Pooks. That was an excerpt from a recent episode of Brave Little State, our podcast answering questions about Vermont that have been submitted and voted on by listeners. You can hear the rest of this episode about Vermont libraries at bravelittlestate.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to The Frequency today. We had additional reporting from Peter Hirschfeld, Liam Elder Connors, Mary Engish, and Nathaniel Wilson. Our executive producer is Kevin Trevelin, and our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Mitch Wertlieb. Talk to you tomorrow. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.